Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome. I'm delighted to have you. The final hour of the day, it is Eric Erickson. Thank you, Dallin Sanders, for filling in for me yesterday. The phone number here is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I got to play you some clips of what happened last night in Ohio. J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan had their debate. Here's J.D. Vance. Look, I've always believed in reasonable exceptions. This is a misrepresentation of my view, but let's hear it from me, not from Congressman Ryan. Uh, I I absolutely think the 10-year-old girl, the case that we've, of course, heard a lot about, an incredibly tragic situation. I mean, look, I've got a 9-year-old baby girl at home. I cannot imagine what that's like for the girl, for her family. God forbid something like that would happen. I have said repeatedly on the record that I think that that girl should be able to get an abortion if she and her family so choose to do so. But let's talk about that case. Because why was a 10-year-old girl raped in our community, raped in our state in the first place? The thing the media and Congressman Ryan, they talk about this all the time, the thing they never mentioned is that poor girl was raped by an illegal alien, somebody that should have never been in this state in the first place. You voted so many times against border wall funding, so many times for amnesty, Tim. If you had done your job, she would have never been raped in the first place. Do your job on border security. Don't lecture me about opinions I don't actually have. Oh, oh, hang on. There's more. 20 years ago, uh, I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. That very same year, Tim Ryan went to Washington, D.C., where he has been failing at his basic job for 20 years. Talks a big game, but the record of accomplishment just isn't there. I think there's something very basic here. I think that people deserve certain things. Ohioans deserve certain things from their federal leadership. They deserve to go to the grocery store and be able to afford food without it breaking the bank. They deserve streets that you can walk down safely. They deserve a country that has a border. I promise. We may not always agree on everything, but I'll never forget where I came from, and I'll never stop fighting to achieve those things for the people who deserve them. This is such an important election. I encourage people to go to jdvance.com and support me. But at, at the end of the day, the question here is whether we need new leadership in this state. Double down on the last two years of failed leadership or take this country in a different direction. I thank you all for listening. I thank you for watching, and I hope to earn your vote. God bless you guys. Wow. Uh, So here's what you've got to understand. J.D. Vance is going to win Ohio. Now, there's a poll out of Ohio that shows that the governor is going to get reelected and will uh, have 20 point get 20 points higher than Vance in the polling. The governor there, DeWine, is super popular, Uh, even if he's not my cup of tea. Ohioans have liked the guy for a very long time. I just think he's kind of a too mushy uh, guy. Vance actually uh, is striding in some of his stands, and I, I'm I've been impressed with him. He wasn't the he, he wasn't someone who super impressed me early on, but he has been very impressive as he's grown as a candidate. The media doesn't like J.D. Vance. Now I've mentioned this one before, and and you should understand this that the reason the media doesn't like J.D. Vance is because he was once one of them. J.D. Vance was once one of the media. He was a Democrat on television. He wrote Hillbilly Elegy. He was a voice for blue-collar Democrats. 
and they put him on CNN. They made him a contributor on TV, and he would come on and talk about how the Republicans were out of touch, and he hated Donald Trump. But Vance grew to like Donald Trump's policies and realized uh, Donald Trump was actually working for the working class in America. And Vance became a Republican. And ever since, the media and Democrats who built up J.D. Vance's profile have despised him. It's very much like with Donald Trump. You do have to understand that, that they built up Donald Trump. And when Donald Trump became a Republican, they felt betrayed by Donald Trump. So their hatred and hostility for Donald Trump has really everything to do with him becoming a Republican and not for his views. Even Donald Trump's views on the border, Mexican rapists or what have you, look at how much of the media and the Democrats have downplayed the uh, president of the city council in Los Angeles who was caught on tape in a closed-door meeting saying some virulently racist things about black Americans. The president of the city council, she stepped down from being president of the city council, but still stayed on the city council in Los Angeles. She said some really racist things about black voters and black people and black children. And while the it's being covered so that we can't say they're ignoring it altogether, they're not giving it the coverage they would give if this person were a Republican. Every Republican in Washington would be having a microphone shoved in their face to know about this person. It's the same if Donald Trump had run as a Democrat in 2015, 2016, and said, we got to seal the border, we got these Mexican rapists coming into this country, like most of the media would say, yeah, he's got a point. But because he was a Republican when he ran and ran for the Republican nomination, they condemned him as a racist. With J.D. Vance, if J.D. Vance were running in a Democratic primary against Tim Ryan saying these same things, they would give him a pass. But because he's doing it as a Republican, they're condemning him. More importantly, J.D. Vance's campaign is kind of outside the box. Uh, The Daily Beast, the organization that did the hit job on uh, Herschel Walker, is also now with Roger Solenberger, the same political hit job reporter, doing a story about J.D. Vance inside the GOP freakout over J.D. Vance's Senate campaign. Republicans are increasingly concerned that the author-turned-maga crusader is running the worst campaign you can possibly run, as one talk radio show host put it. Bill Cunningham, a fixture on conservative talk radio airwaves in Cincinnati for decades, told the Daily Beast that voters, party activists, and even statewide officials are telling him that Vance has been phoning it in. Vance is allegedly missing from many of the county fairs, party meetings, and campaign stops where candidates in the state are expected to go. The Republican faithful are telling me, Cunningham said, they can't find J.D. Vance without a search warrant. Well... Turns out J.D. Vance has been on the ground. They were criticizing him for taking a trip to Israel, building up his foreign policy credentials. But then he came back, and he's been everywhere on the campaign trail. J.D. Vance has been in all the counties. He's been glad-handing. His campaign is leading. And the national narrative from the media is that he can still lose, and he won't. Because they're bitter. They feel like they built the guy up and they're betrayed. This is a recurring pattern in the media. The problem for the media is the reality is a 
a lot of the Republican consultants who are in the know now, they're not talking to the media. The Republican consultants who are talking to the media are the ones who are on the sidelines, the ones who are marginalized, the ones who are not in on the game. I want you to listen to this. This is audio from Casey Hunt on CNN about the Vance campaign. Uh, But look, John, I think to your point, I, I think you've hit on what is exactly at the heart of this race. The reality is there's no reason we should be actually needing to air a piece about an Ohio Senate debate a couple weeks out from the midterm elections. Republicans should have put this race away a long time ago. And the fact that they haven't yet, the fact that they still have to spend money to prop up J.D. Vance is because Tim Ryan has been running a very, very strong campaign as someone who is very rooted in Ohio. You can tell from the way that he talks, from the ads he puts on the air, that he has a very natural feel for the state and the place he's from. J.D. Vance has had a different backstory, but he also, by many accounts, and you know, I, I've had a lot of conversations uh, with strategists who are extraordinarily frustrated with how he has run his campaign. We've done a lot of reporting here at CNN uh, on the ground, uh, et cetera, looking at the fact that, you know, there are local officials there who say, like, where is this guy? Like, why haven't I seen him? Why is he not doing all of the things that you're supposed to do to do this? Now, Phil's point about the fact that Ohio structurally is a certain way uh, really leans in in the Republicans' favor. And I think it's still probably more likely that you end up with Senator Vance than Senator Ryan on election night. But the reality is this, this race is much, much, much closer, and that's because of the way Tim Ryan has been operating his campaign and the way he's been talking to voters. Actually, the reason is because Tim Ryan wooed the national press. Tim Ryan wooed and dazzled the national press as someone who could rival Nancy Pelosi. Where J.D. Vance betrayed the national press, Tim Ryan dated the national press. National Democrats have ignored his race. In fact, NBC News is running a story essentially saying uh, if only the Democrats will pour some more money into the race, they could win. Ryan's been a prolific fundraiser. He's outraged J.D. Vance. That's why the race has been close to a degree is because his fundraising has been prolific. The problem here, however, is he's had to spend it all as quickly as he got it just to stay at parity with Vance. The Democrats aren't spending money in the Ohio race in in Ohio. They're not spending money in the Senate race in Ohio, and it's not going to help them. I mean, to Casey Hunt's point, it's going to be J.D. Vance on Election Day. And by the way, there is a Democratic polling bias in Ohio that no one's even talking about. This is like in Florida. Follow the money. The Democrats aren't spending money on Tim Ryan or I don't even know the name of the Democrat who's running against Mike DeWine in Ohio. They're no longer spending money on Charlie Crist in Florida. The National Democratic Governors Association has pulled out of Florida. They have withdrawn their funding. A month from the election, they know Charlie Crist is toast. He's down 11 points. DeSantis, the only question now is how big is DeSantis' margin? We don't know. DeSantis could get over 60%. It's possible. And, you know, the same thing, there's a setup in Georgia. In Georgia, there are some people who realistically think that Brian Kemp could get up to 60% of the vote. Just looking at the margins in Georgia and the way Georgia's changed, I think Kemp can get to 55, and that may get Herschel Walker across the finish line and not just into a runoff. I don't think Kemp gets to 60. And that has nothing to do with his strength as a candidate. It has to do with the uh, demographic and political alignment of the state. 52 53% for a Republican in Georgia is really good. It's to be expected. Time will tell the way it works. I think that 
the media reliant on polling, and we have to, to some degree, to get a sense of the trend lines. But looking at the bottom line numbers of the polling, we know the polling has biases. And the media has become so reliant at looking at those bottom line numbers as opposed to the trends, it's kind of shaped their views of the races. And they forget about those biases. They forget about the bumps. So they're looking at the race and they're feeling more and more confident about John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. And I wouldn't, given that the polling error in Pennsylvania tends to be five points in the Democrats' favor. They're looking at Georgia and they're thinking that Warnock may win without a runoff. And I'm looking at that race thinking, you know— I've been hesitant to say one way or the other, but there could be a runoff. Don't underestimate a protest vote going to the Libertarians. I suspect where this is headed is another moment of hand-wringing for the national press about the polling and how the polling has shaped coverage we're kind of dependent on polling to help shape political coverage and tell us where to look. But we have to get out of the habit of looking at the bottom line numbers of the polling. We have to see the trends and where the trends go. And if all the polls go in a certain direction, we know the trend is in that direction, even if we don't know the intensity of the trend because we don't know the bottom line numbers. And the media has kind of ignored that. The trend in this final month of the election is back towards the Republicans. But because the polling averages have stayed close, the media would rather look at that. And come election day and the day after election day, there are going to be a lot of hungover Democrats waking up wondering what the heck happened because the bottom line numbers of the polls will have been wrong again. I want to tell you guys a little about a group I've been working with, Americans for Prosperity. Maybe you've heard of them. They're the largest grassroots network in the country fighting to expand freedom and opportunity so that we can unleash prosperity in America again. Here's what I like about Americans for Prosperity. They focus on building movements at the community level, not Washington, D.C. That's actually how I first came to know them, in Georgia, helping rise up the Tea Party movement in 2010. They understand we're not going to find solutions in Washington. we got to take power out of Washington that's going to have to come from Americans like you outside the Beltway bubble. That's why I'm excited to partner with Americans for Prosperity to provide an effective platform where we can talk to our fellow Americans and advocate for solutions to the most critical challenges facing the country. I encourage you to learn more about Americans for Prosperity by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm going to go next to Rose. Welcome to the show, Rose. How are you? Hey, Eric. I'm fine. How are you today? I'm great. Well, just listening to your program earlier, and um, you are just expressing that maybe some people may be embarrassed or um, disenchanted with Herschel Walker, and I would just like to encourage people to vote for Herschel Walker that we – Georgians need every single person going out to vote for him, um, not only for the sake of Georgia, but for the whole entire nation. So um, I just turned 60, and my first election to vote for was Ronald Reagan, and boy, have things changed since that election. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there's so much money um, behind Warnock and um, Stacey Abrams, for that matter, we just Georgians need um, we need uh, we need it and um, and I hope that everyone will get out and start voting early on Monday 
and and get this done because the whole entire country needs it. Rose, that's well said. Thank you very much for the phone call. I appreciate it. You know, um, I, around the country, I, I do definitely think it's a Democratic tactic to try to make people feel ashamed of Republican candidates. Uh, Republicans tend to be regular churchgoers, and so they have a sense of shame. Uh, they, they acknowledge it, uh, sin and hypocrisy and things like that, and Democrats uh, increasingly are secular and white, uh, don't go to church, and don't have a sense of shame. And the Democratic strategists try to capitalize on that with you to suppress your vote. And it's legitimate voter suppression. It's what they do. Um, you know, Stacey Abrams in Georgia is talk about race baiting. i got to play you all this advertisement. Uh, this is an ad by Stacey Abrams. It is just dropped in Georgia. It's trying to get black voters to show up at polls claiming somehow or another that Brian Kemp is a racist and trying to embolden white supremacists. This is a fear-oriented ad, and I want you to listen to this. Brian Kemp knows he can't win if we show up to vote. You know, the Democrats are working hard, registering all these minority voters continues to concern us, especially if everybody can exercise their right to vote. So Kemp signed one of the most restrictive voter suppression laws in the nation, making it easier for white supremacists to challenge black voters and kick us off the rolls. And Kemp made it a crime to give water to voters. We have the power to stop Kemp's voter suppression by voting for Stacey Abrams. Notice it's it's a black male's voice. That is the constituency group Stacey Abrams is not doing well with in the black community designed to paint Brian Kemp as a racist. What's so interesting is they play audio of Kemp from 2018 about how uh, Democrats are doing mass voter registration and they selectively edit him. What he actually said was that they were doing this and it was their right to do it and he hoped as many people would get registered as possible and that the Republican side needs to do it as well. And they left off the it was their right to do it and and he hopes as many people vote as possible to make it sound like he was encouraging Republicans to suppress the vote. It's a deeply dishonest ad playing on racial fears in Georgia at a time Stacey Abrams has claimed she's a bridge builder and a uniter. She's going straight for the hardcore racism ad. The dog was ad of the left. And notice how the media will largely give her a pass on a dog whistle ad like this in a way they never would for a Republican. They're going after uh, Tuberville over in Alabama for comments he made and and demanding that uh, prior sponsors of Auburn's football team denounce the guy. It's what they do. And Abrams isn't beneath doing these things. She's becoming the underminer from the Incredibles. I'm beneath you and nothing's beneath me. <laughs> My goodness gracious. Um, I'm so ready for the, for the midterms to be over around the nation. It's just getting dirty out there. I expect the dirty tricks in Nevada to tick up here soon. Those of you listening out there in Nevada uh, to me in Las Vegas, uh, you just, just, I mean, gird your loins these next four weeks because they are going to come for Adam Laxalt. We're going to try to get him on the program, too. Uh, Adam's a friend of mine, and he's going to be the next U.S. senator, according to the polling averages out there, which historically have had a bias to the Democrats, and he's ahead. I'm excited about getting Laxalt. He and, and Ron DeSantis were at one point roommates. Having the two of them in, in leadership in this country will be fantastic and start moving this country back to the right and hold Joe Biden accountable.
So winter is coming, and I got to tell you, I love the weight of the bull and branch sheets. I like them in the summer when it's hot and you don't want a lot of covers on you. But in the wintertime, they're just the perfect weight, the perfect, I don't know, smoothness. They're 100% organic cotton threads. They've got super softness. They get softer every time you wash them. They're just the drape when you're laying down and stuff. They're not. They're just perfect sheets. I love them. Uh, I am effusive with my praise for Bull and Branch, and I'm delighted to have them as an advertiser. Look, they're made from the highest quality threads. They got superior softness. They got over twenty five thousand rave customer reviews and counting. I'm one of them. The quality you can tell is great. They hold up well after all the washes I've put them through. And they just get softer. It doesn't matter what the thread count is. The fiber sucks. And you can tell they put a lot of great detail into the fibers they use. And look, Bola Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're going to feel the difference. You're not going to want to send them back. The first 100% organic fair trade certified bedding company ever. They used 90% less water than conventional production, zero pesticides, other chemical, toxic chemicals. They don't use them. It's just fantastic. Listen, I'm effusive with my praise. I love Bull and Branch. Try them for yourself. And again, you get a 30-night risk-free trial, free shipping, returns on all orders. Try the sheets that will make you fall for the coziest night sleep in the season where you want cozy sheets. 15% off your first set of sheets. Free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Trust me, they're worth it. We've got five bedrooms, five beds, Bolin Branch sheets on every bed. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-973. 7425 if you want to be on the program. Um so there's a an activist online, kind of a a just broken individual. Um a supposed journalist. I remember him distinctly because he put up a threat about going to Target and was offended by something at Target and threatened employees jobs over it. He uh a, a woman named Tina Ramirez. She's the founder of Hardwired. She's a Senate candidate uh, for the Virginia Senate. She is Hispanic, says that uh, this activist called Child Protective Services of Virginia to report child abuse because she teaches her daughter about Christopher Columbus and real American history. As a single mother, I am my daughter's only support. This activist didn't just call Child Protective Services to level the accusation. He waited an hour on hold, tying up the lines of Child Protective Services professionals trying to help Virginia's children. Just how bizarre this is. What a what a nut job doing that to this poor woman. Herschel Walker, by the way, he's campaigning out in my in-laws neck of the woods out in Carrollton right now with Tom Cotton and Rick Scott. It's notable Rick Scott, the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, and Tom Cotton both in Georgia. Tom, I know we've been texting back and forth on this. Uh, He said the, the, the choice is very simple. Either the Democrats run the Senate or the Republicans run the Senate. Who do you want? That's your choice. And Walker on the campaign trail saying it's amazing to be running against a reverend who doesn't believe in grace or redemption or forgiveness. Yes. Now, I want to get out of all that and focus on the economy because something wicked this way comes, I think. Uh, We're hearing more and more about this. This is ABC's Terry Moran. 
And Terry, 30 days to the midterms, less than a month ago, the Democrats were feeling pretty hopeful about their chances. Do you still get that sense? Nope. I think the air went out of that <laughs> balloon, in, in part because, look, the economy is so tough for so many people. Food prices, rent spiking. If they've got retirement funds, those are evaporating. And even the issue of abortion, which did drive several special elections and that remarkable referendum result in Kansas. Uh, while there are millions of people for whom that will be the number one issue, I just think the economic headwinds are so tough. Uh, and, and Biden is, he just doesn't have the oomph as a candidate anymore. People don't really want him around. And he can't really make his case that, that I, I don't think the Democrats are in any better place. Nope, they're not. Here's Larry Summers, who Joe Biden tends to listen to. I think it's more likely than not that sometime in the next year or 18 months, uh, we will have a recession. I think that's a con that's a consequence of the excesses that the economy has uh, been through. And historical experience suggests that uh, the kind of inflation we have rarely returns to normal levels to target levels of around 2% without some kind of recession. Now, I don't think that means we're going to have something like we had after COVID or something like we had at, during the financial crisis. But I do think that uh, we had a period of very substantial stimulus. And I think the other side of that is likely to be a downturn. Yes, a recession's coming. Two, two more here. Two more. This is important. This is Jamie Dimon. Jamie Dimon is the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. When he speaks, the markets listen. America needs to play a real leadership role. America is the swing producer, not Saudi Arabia. And and we and we should have gotten that right starting in March. It's almost too late to get it right because obviously these are longer term investments. Yes, long-term investment, we're having problems, gas and oil prices going back up, one more from him. So I think you've got to put two things in mind here. Currently, right now, the U.S. economy is actually still doing well. Consumers have money, you know, fiscal stimulus, they still have more than they had before. They're spending 10% more than last year, 35% more than pre-COVID. Their balance sheets are in great shape. Yes, debt's gone up a little bit, but not nearly to pre-COVID levels. And therefore, even when we go into recession, they're going to be in much better shape than 08 and 09. Companies are in good shape. Credit's very good. Uh, markets are still open, though, rocky and stuff like that. But you, gotta, you, you can't talk about the economy without talking about the stuff in the future. And this is serious stuff, okay? This is inflation, which obviously is you know, changing the effect of those numbers I just told you about. It's rates going up more than people expected already and probably a little bit more from here. It's QT, which we've never had before. Uh, so therefore, the unknown effects, and you see it today in bond markets around the world and sovereign markets and people selling U.S. Treasury debt, and it's the war. And these are very, very serious things, which I think are likely to push the U.S. Uh, and you know, the world. I mean, Europe is already in a recession, and they're likely to put U.S. in some kind of recession six to nine months from now. Six to nine months from now. I'm going to get hate because I know the sensitivities of a lot of the people who listen. I'm going to get hate mail. But, y'all, I'm getting close to the microphone. It's me at my most intimate with you. You know, they used to tell me when I got into radio, get real close to the microphone, make love to the microphone, they'd say. 
And I say, this foam thing, someone in here has been like spitting on this microphone thing before I got here. I don't want to touch, accidentally touch this thing and get whatever they've got. That's gross. They're like, just get close and breathe heavy. People like it. I'm getting close. I'm getting intimate. I need you to hear this. Don't hate me because I'm about to talk about 2024. <laughs> yeah, we got to do it because I, I just I need to game this out with you real quick. We're 28 days from the national midterm elections where for the next two years we will resolve the, uh, the con- constituency of Congress. Now, don't look now. But in 2024, the Democrats are on serious defense where a number of Democrats who are in states that flip to Donald Trump are going to be on the ballot. And Democrats intuitively understand that this may be the last two years in which they hold the Senate if they can pull it off. If they lose the Senate now, it's probably gone for the next six years. And you've got a recession coming. You've got Jamie Dimon, who is the chairman and CEO of Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase. You've got Bank of America saying they expect to start seeing about 153,000 Americans a month lose jobs. We've got a recession coming. It's going to hit in a presidential election year. Historically in this country, it doesn't matter whether Republicans are in charge of Congress or Democrats are in charge of Congress. It's the president who gets the credit and the blame for the economy. When the economy is good, the person who is president tends to stem losses in the midterms. When the president, when the economy is bad, the president sees a bloodbath in the midterms. And when the economy is in a recession, presidents tend to lose. In 1992, George H.W. Bush had won the Iraq War. George H.W. Bush's approval ratings were the highest ever recorded in public polling for a president of the United States. It is presumed by most that his popularity rating was the same as George Washington at the founding of the country. In several polls, George H.W. Bush was polling in the 90 percent. It's the last time any president in documented polling was polling in the 90 percent. He won the Gulf War. It was the first major military engagement of the United States after Vietnam. It rebounded American credibility and support for the military. And then a recession hit. And he lost to Bill Clinton. The Clinton campaign team Their message was it's the economy, stupid. And they were, to some degree, rather gracious with George H.W. Bush. And the argument was that, yes, he's a very nice man, but he's been in Washington, D.C. for so long, he's out of touch with the American people. He doesn't relate. Now, here's the irony. The economy was inarguably recovered by the 1992 presidential election. Employment was up. Unemployment was down. Average income was up. Spending of the American consumer was up. Savings was up. Everything, all the indicators that a recession was over up or or, were over. Economic growth was up for two quarters in a row. Technically, we were out of a recession. But people didn't feel that way. Because it takes about a year 
after getting out of a recession for people to realize the good times are back. I've played y'all before the Morning in America ad from Ronald Reagan in 1984. The whole purpose of that ad was to remind Americans that the that the early 80s recession was over and America was prosperous again. So let's spring this forward. We're coming into the midterms. We're 28 days away. Republicans will take the House, probably take the Senate, but maybe not. There may be real gridlock in Washington. Joe Biden will have the economic powers as the executive. He'll have the executive powers of the president to be able to navigate us. It'll be his appointees like um, Jerome Powell at the Federal Reserve who guide us. It'll be the Secretary of Treasury, the current Secretary of the Treasury. Janet Yellen is probably out. Turns out she's not partisan enough for Joe Biden's administration. She's not willing to defend things she thinks are bad public policy, including the Inflation Reduction Act. She wasn't willing to champion it, and so they want her gone after the midterm. She'll be the fall guy for a bad economy. Well, when they make her the fall guy for the bad economy, they can't blame the Republicans. They've already found the fall guy. They've blamed her, and she's fired. And the economy will turn. Now, if the Republicans pick the House and the Senate, Joe Biden is kind of precluded from running for president again. A majority of Democratic voters don't want him to run for president again. The Democratic leaders want him to run for president again, but the voters don't. You get a recession and you get a Republican sweep, you get the end of the Biden administration. So where do they go? Kamala Harris polls the best, but Cackles only polls at like 33%. Pete Buttigieg is soaring, but Pete Buttigieg, his only policy prescription is battery-powered cars. He took paternity leave and nobody noticed. Gavin Newsom wants it. There's going to be a bloody Democratic fight. Now, what happens if Republicans consolidate behind a Nikki Haley or a Tom Cotton or a Josh Hawley or a Ron DeSantis like they did in 2000. The difference between 2000 and now is that the recession was coming as Bush and Cheney were running for office and they were warning the recession was coming and the Democrats attacked them for talking down the economy, claiming that, that they had the power, Dick Cheney had the power to talk the economy into a recession. If the recession hits and you feel it and you've got a Republican running that the Republicans have gravitated towards while the Democrats are in a civil war, you're looking at a nightmare scenario for the Democratic Party. But on top of that, you're looking for a nightmare scenario in the American media as they continue to align so far, so aggressively, so purely with the Democrats who have tanked the economy and are now in a civil war. You see the upending and the full discrediting of the American press corps who's either going to have to recalibrate or be rendered inert, useless, incompetent, out to lunch, and ineffective and without influence. We're starting to see the end game of this American political realignment that I've told you guys was going to come. And it comes with a recession in six to nine months as the American political parties completely realign and upper income, college educated, secular white people become Democrat. And more and more of the working class joins the college educated white conservatives in the Republican Party who still go to church. And suddenly you see a country where it's the wokes on the run and angry still dominant in corporations, and those corporations are starting to go under as Americans lose support for them in a recession with their woke policies, we're going to see a greater realignment in this country than we've even seen thus far. 
It's going to be fascinating to watch. What's also fascinating to me is how the Eden Pure Thunderstorm wipes out odors. I, y'all, I'm I'm fascinated by the technology that it, that it has. This thing, you plug it into the wall, you hold it in the palm of your hand, you can plug it into the wall, and it eliminates odors. I have used it repeatedly. I have used it for smoke odors. I have used it for musty odors in hotel rooms. I've used it for cooking odors in the kitchen. Friends of mine use it for their leer box odors. It just works. All you do is plug it in. You can even use a USB cord and plug it into the wall with a USB cord or, or in your car. If you your car has a USB port, you plug it in there. It wipes out the odors. It's the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, and right now you can get three of them for less than $200 by going to EdenPureDeals.com. Eden, like the Garden of Eden, pure is the driven snow. Eden Pure deals.com. When you go to EdenPureDeals.com, you'll see a discount code box on the front page of the site, and you put in my name, Eric, and then the number three, Eric3. That'll be your discount code to get three of these Eden Pure Thunderstorms, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one to your basement or your car or like me, my suitcase. EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code is Eric3. You get three Eden Pure Deals for less than $200. You're saving $200. You get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric3. Oh, I think I've saved the best for last. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, you can follow me on social media at EW Erickson pretty much anywhere. I, I want I want you guys, you know, we were we we had had an advertiser and I was using my name for him because I didn't have a better idea at the time. But now I want all of you, wherever you are, if you will text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, if you will text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to the number 33777. I'm going to send you back the podcast link for Google, for Apple, for Spotify. I'm going to send you back the 24-7 live stream for when you want to hear me live. You can, wherever you are, click that and get me. I'm going to send you back my social media links, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. You can follow me in all those places. And I'm going to send you back my daily email link so you can subscribe. All you do is text Eric to 33777. You get all those things. All of them are free. You should follow me on Instagram for sure. Grow my Instagram profile. You should subscribe to my daily email. You should do that. Now, this is fantastic. I'm sure I'll have more to say on this tomorrow. The New York Times, Michael Shearer and Linda Kui, uh, Key is they're finally they're finally doing a story on Joe Biden as a liar. But they can't say Joe Biden is a liar. So let me read you the title and subtitle. Here's the title: Biden. Storyteller-in-chief spins yarns that often unravel. And here's the subtitle. President Biden has been unable to break himself of the habit of embellishing narratives to weave a political identity. Standing in front of Floridians who have lost everything during Hurricane Ian, President Biden on Wednesday recalled his own house being nearly destroyed 15 years ago. We didn't lose our whole home, but lightning struck and we lost an awful lot of it, he said. Mr. Biden mentioned the incident before, once saying he knows what it's like having had a house burned down with my wife in it. In fact, news reports at the time called it little more than a small fire that was contained to the kitchen and quoted the local Delaware fire chief as saying the fire was under control in 20 minutes. 
The story is not an isolated example of embarrassment, embellishment. The exaggerated biography that Mr. Biden tells includes having been a fierce civil rights activist who was repeatedly arrested. He's claimed to have been an award-winning student who earned three degrees. And last week, speaking on the hurricane-devastated island of Puerto Rico, he said he'd been raised in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. He's a serial fabulist, a liar. It's amazing that it's taken the New York Times until October 11th, 2022, to call him out for lying repeatedly and regularly. And they can't even call him a liar still, just an embellisher. He's a fabulist. He's a liar. More on this tomorrow, I'm sure. Right now, real quick, if y'all want to join me uh, at a gun range and drink some bourbons, and talk politics the week before the midterms close out and hear from some political candidates and, and analysts. Text the word bourbon to 33777. Get tickets. Come join me at Governor's Gun Club. It's the largest indoor skeet shooting facility in the nation. We're going to have a discussion, a Q&A with you guys about politics, sample some bourbons. The VIP tour, show up early, sample the bourbons, or just come late if you're not a drinker, you don't want it. Text bourbon to 33777.